Father, we pray that your name would be hallowed and glorified and you would become more famous and lifted up in our midst tonight. Shine your light upon us. Open our eyes. Turn our hearts towards you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I found that song stuck in my head for like two days. Uh, haven't yet listened. I've just been the, it's a really catchy tune. Um, so today, uh, just to remind everybody how we do this is uh, we're looking at the scripture verses for this coming Sunday. It says at the very top in larger print, uh, Wednesday's word, which is today, scripture readings for 1.10.21. So we are looking forward to the first Sunday in Epiphany, um, which is just a time in the church calendar where we look at the revelation or revealing of the Christ. And so all these words, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, they all have a Latin root because the uh, church that spoke Latin uh, in the first, like in the third, fourth century that started putting together the church uh, calendar was speaking Latin. And so Epiphany just means uh, the, the revelation, the revealing of. And so, um, if you don't know the cycle of the church calendar, you would be good to study just how it follows through Advent, you know, the coming of the Christ, Christ's birth for a few weeks, a couple to a few weeks, the revelation of Christ, meaning like who is God choosing to reveal that the Christ is here to, uh, on through the temptations of Jesus, uh, all the way into Lent, to Holy Week, to uh, Easter, to um, Pentecost and, and ordinary time and such. And so uh, that's there in place, and the church put that in place early on to keep us focused on certain things and not let us drift away to become like the modern church in such ways that could be unhealthy that we uh, only do topical sermons on certain things. And it also causes us to, uh, uh, with the readings, to read the entirety of the scriptures. And so we're going to be looking at Isaiah. Um, as usual, I'm skipping the psalm, even though you could read that. These are normally put together, um, as in these passages, Isaiah, Psalm 72, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ephesians, and Matthew, these are all usually lumped together, so it's not just a weird coincidence that these specific ones are put on here today. Um, so we're just going to go a little bit over Isaiah and kind of focus more on Ephesians and Matthew, but just when we open up to Isaiah chapter 60, Uh, this is something we should never, ever, ever forget. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord goes first. The Lord shines upon you. He's the one that comes to you. They weren't exactly uh, looking. Verse 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And so I might say something that's seemingly contradictory later once we get to Matthew. But I think it's what we often forget and get into is 
that, yeah, there is a real sense that we need to seek the Lord, but let's never, ever, ever forget that our natural state is in darkness, fleeing from God, running away from him. We don't want his light. We don't, we're not looking for it. Until he comes and shines his light, we're still in darkness. Um, and that's where we are in Isaiah. And that's when we look at Epiphany, that's the Lord coming to us. He chooses who he wants to reveal himself to. Um, I'm often reminded of, uh, we're going to, you know, Ephesians talks about the mystery, um, about, the, about the Gentiles and who the Lord chooses to reveal himself to. But I think it's often interesting in Matthew 13, Jesus explains why he speaks in parables. And he says he doesn't speak openly, but he speaks in parables, lest some people may hear and understand <laughs> plainly. <laughs> Although sometimes he does speak plainly, but to the people, that those who would have understanding are those who the Lord would open their eyes. Um, just like when you look at the same chapter in Matthew with the, uh, the parable of the seeds of some of them are just plucked up by crows. They didn't, the dirt didn't even know that there were seeds there, never even got there. And so um, the Lord gives the growth there. And so I just want to point out some things as we go into Ephesians and Matthew from uh, chapter 60, as we keep going in verse 3 of Isaiah 60, and nations shall come to your light, right? So now we have the Lord shining his light upon the people, and those people are now being a light, right? The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising, Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. All right, this is before the exile. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. So what Isaiah prophesies and you can even go on a multitude of camels and, and different things from Sheba to Seba. Uh, um, and they're bringing you frankincense and gold. Sound familiar, right? Um, but there's all these nations, other nations coming to the people of Israel, to, to God's people. That's what Isaiah is prophesying. And he says the abundance of the sea, this is one of the one that makes it a little bit more clear about biblical imagery of in the second half of verse five, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you. So the Bible uses imagery and uh, it'd be good to read um, James Jordan's, the book titled, uh, what is it? Through new eyes um, to get just kind of a foundation for biblical imagery. I'm pretty sure he would talk about the sea in there, but the sea is referring to the Gentiles. And so um, just look at the progression here that we see in Isaiah is that the Lord shining his light among the people, the people are therefore being a light. And then the nations, the Gentile nations are streaming to the people, right? They had the light shown on them, which is obviously through Israel's eyes. They're thinking geopolitically through 
the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what we see in the first chapter of Isaiah, or the first and second chapter of Isaiah, particularly chapter two, which is, I just use this as kind of my locus classicus, is it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted, shall be lifted up above the hills. So at that time, the Mount Zion uh, that Jerusalem's on is surrounded by seven mountains and everyone, and that's the smallest one is Mount Zion. Like geographically, it's the smallest one. And he's saying this is being lifted up. It has more influence over all these other mountains. And people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, of the house of the God of Jacob, that we may, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge between nations. So it was already prophesied in chapter two that the people of God, the, about Mount Zion, where God puts his people, um, in Jerusalem is going to be raised up above and have more influence than the rest of the nations. And that uh, they're going to start streaming to them, right? And so, um, you know, remember at this time of when Isaiah is writing, they're not exiled yet, but Isaiah is writing in a time where there's tons of discord. There's no... Israel never really has any influence on other nations, except for like, you can see Solomon building and the queen, queen of the South, she becomes up and offers gifts, but Israel never accomplishes what they were called to be or do. They internalized, they kept streaming forward. They never um, actually got what's clear in the scriptures is we need to go to the Gentiles and that it's not just our, uh, uh, you know, our progeny, our natural children, um, and this nation that is going to be influenced. But, you know, even in Hosea, it says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And they didn't quite get it, like, <laughs> that God just wants burnt offerings, right? No. Um, so just keep that in mind, that that's what Israel is doing. Israel is supposed to grow. It's supposed to grow in influence. It's supposed to influence the nations. It's going to be all-encompassing. The wealth of the nations are going to stream to Israel, um, you know, in such a way. And so when we get to Ephesians 3, so often we think in Isaiah and if we're going to look at Matthew, that the revelation of of the Christ is, well, God reveals himself through the prophetic word in Isaiah, and he talks about the coming Christ, and Matthew, the wise men or the magi are, are being shown. But Paul has an understanding in such a way that we could look at it that we're all supposed to be, like in Isaiah, supposed to be the light to the nations. There's a constant revelation of Christ as we preach the gospel. So let's go to Ephesians. Well, We'll talk about this for a little bit. So even to make that, I guess, kind of clear is how God works, how um, he's worked since Adam. Uh, I don't think he worked like this before Adam, so there was a beginning. Is that even Isaiah, he says, I'm shining my light upon you and you're going to be the light. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's always operating that way, right? 
uh, he did that with Adam. We don't have any indication that Eve received the commandment from God herself, right? Um, Meaning that God didn't directly tell Eve. God told Adam. Adam taught Eve. She seemed to know it pretty well, but we don't have any indication that she uh, spoke directly with God herself. So even since Adam, that was always God's intention of being light, that God shines his light upon you, he opens your eyes, and you go and make other disciples, you preach the gospel, you tell of the wondrous things, and you teach and train and raise up and discipline and rebuke and, and everything through the gospel. And so um, Paul's commission that he says, uh, that he reverts to, and you can follow through Acts, it's in, he says it in Romans, he says it here, um, he says it quite a few times in Acts, that, uh, that he's being sent to the Gentiles. And so um, one of the things, I'll talk more about this in, on Sunday, because I'll do the 9.30 on relating it to like hospitality, is you guys remember when there was like a huge discussion in Acts of like, you know, like, um, and Peter's rebuked later of like, uh, for some things of like, the Jews wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles. They wouldn't sit down and have a meal with them. That's how crazy, like, uh, offended and, and diversive they were towards the Gentiles. Like Israel in the time of Christ, when he chooses to come and be incarnate and reveals himself in the earth, uh, none of the Israelites were really thinking like we're going to go and the Lord's going to come and he is going to um, fill the earth, you know, through the proclamation, through people being converted. They thought it was just, they're going to submit and they're going to come and we're going to overrule them and overpower them. And Paul talks about this commission to the Gentiles. He gets it. He gets God's ways. He understands his heart. He understands the preaching of the gospel is that Christ was revealed. Now other people who they're revealed to are going to reveal Christ. And it's a constant revelation. There's a a constant epiphany of the Lord. It's unfortunate. Was it four weeks? I should have looked at the calendar better. I think it's four weeks of epiphany. Could be three, could be two. It's more than one. Uh, I got to check the calendar a little bit better. But I think it's four weeks of epiphany. But, you know, every week, every Sunday is an epiphany of the Lord. When we come and hear the preaching of the word, it's a revelation of Christ. That's what preaching is. That's what, uh, you know, we get up here and, and, and talk, and we can talk about how to live your best life and different topical things. But really what preaching is supposed to do is, is elevate our vision of the Lord and open our eyes to the, uh, the wondrous mysteries of why the heck he would reveal himself to us and, and what we're going to do about it. And so let's look at verse 6. We'll probably just look at verse 6 and 10 for time's sake. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Skip to verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so, uh, God being sovereign, I read this. I was reading through Ephesians a few weeks ago, and I actually stopped there in these verses. And I was like, 
saw something that I didn't quite understand that made more sense to me just this last time I read it a few weeks ago is um, a couple layers, but let's just concentrate on one thing. First off, uh, has everybody heard of replacement theology? If not, that's okay. Uh, it's a theology of replacement. Very good. <laughs> we got one listener. And so replacement theology essentially says that God had a chosen people, which is the nation of Israel, and now he is replacing them with the church. And so that's, a, that's um, maybe a dumbed-down version and maybe not as accurate. Uh, but uh, that's a mis- like a replacement is a misnomer. God never replaced anybody, right? Um, go to Romans 9. It says those that are true Israel are those sons of Abraham by faith, right? So even in um, Old Covenant times, although there were more definitive lines geopolitically of who God had chosen, that wasn't always the case. Sons of Korah, for example, they weren't really the people of God, uh, and they proved it. But they were in Israel. Um, So we do believe in a type of replacement theology is that God's people had always been, as Romans says, the people of Abraham uh, that were chosen by God and received the same faith and walked in the same faith as Abraham. And that was a nation more definitively seen in a nation in Israel. And that's more, and that's now seen today in the church. But as we get to to Matthew and we talk about like Melchizedek wasn't part of Israel, he was the king of Salem, but he was a Yahweh worshiper on the earth and one of the elect of God. Very clearly, he was a high priest. But he wasn't, well, Israel wasn't a nation then anyways, but he didn't, wasn't part of Abraham's people, but he was a Yahweh worshiper. And so, you know, one of the things that hit me pretty hard this last time I read this is uh, you look at all the prophecies, all of the Old Testament, it's pointing to, like, even Isaiah, we'll just stick in Isaiah, Isaiah 9, you know, for unto us a child is born, the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of peace and of his government, there will be no end, right? From this day forward, forevermore, you know, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And so all over, there's pointing towards when Christ is revealed, when he comes, there's going to be this like explosion of the kingdom of God and of righteousness, of peace, of justice. Uh, and it's going to explode all over the earth. And it's not going to stop. And it's going to be a juggernaut. And you can try to stop it, but the more you try to stop it, the faster it goes, the more momentum it gets. And, um, and so, you know, think about that when this mystery that Paul says, like that, like that, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, you know, I don't know um, if... I'm, I don't know what Satan knows. He's probably smarter than me, uh, <laughs> most definitely. And I don't know what demons know or how much they, or know what they understand about the scriptures. It's probably more than me. But 
When you look at verse 10, so that the, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known or might be revealed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Of When you look at, you know, when we look here in a minute about who God chose to reveal himself to first off, like the Magi, they're not even Israelites. They're Yahweh worshipers for sure. And we'll talk a little bit about them here in a second. But nobody, like the Jews missed it. But when you start seeing the gospel exploding and it's through the church, right? He uses that, the Gentiles, and then talks about the church. Um, is that, you know, through the church, uh, and you look at like, you know, then you go to like, you tie in Ephesians 6 about the whole armor of God, is when the church is like doing what the church is supposed to be doing and spreading the gospel and making converts and discipling the nations, that's what I believe makes the demons kind of like shudder and quake in their boots is because we're actually doing what from the mystery <laughs> that Paul says is supposed to be doing. And so it's through that that the the authorities in the heavenly places um, that we make known to them through that. And so uh, we being, I think everybody here is a Gentile, the only person that, there's only a couple of people in our church that maybe could be considered like a sliver of not Gentile, but they're not here today. So we're all Gentiles. We're all here today. The Lord has shown his light upon us. And our goal, it should be one of our main goals, is to then be light to the rest of the nations, to have a continual revelation of Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And so when we get to Matthew, um, has anybody ever like, I don't know, either you grew up in a Christian home and you heard things a million times and you knew the stories and you watched Veggie Tales and uh, you heard all these things and you never thought about them and then you start reading scripture and um, and you still don't think about things and then but you think about some things and then you read scripture again and by the time you read it like a thousand times or a hundred times you're like huh I've always just taken that for granted and I've never really found out like what's the significance or what this means and so um, in Matthew 2, we're looking at that the Lord chose to reveal himself to the Magi, which I never honestly before this week done any research on what the heck a Magi is. Or, <laughs> I didn't even care. I, I just read it, and it's part of the Christmas story, and there's the song We Three Kings, but there's no kings. They're Magi. That was changed in the 4th or 5th century and whatever. Uh, but anyways... Um, so this was like the first time I was like, what the heck are magi? What the heck does that word even mean? <laughs> like, we don't use that word in our parlance. Like, I don't, like if Teresa said, hey, I'm going to go see the magi. You'd be like, what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. It's not somebody in East Dayton probably. But so, um, so this is huge because you look at who the Lord chose to reveal himself to in the in the Gospels, in his birth, of saying, hey, the Christ is here. He's born. And God's like, we're going to tell some people, and it's going to be some shepherds in a field over here doing shepherding things. And I'm going to show them, I'm going to split apart the heavens, and there's going to be a host of angels singing and praising God, and these uh, shepherds that have no names, not known in society, no influence probably, and we're going to 
God talks among the Trinity maybe and says, we're going to show them. Okay, I would, I would tell Governor Mike DeWine, let him know. Maybe Trump, right? Not important, not God's uh, importance here to tell the kings, to tell Herod, to tell whoever. And so then after a short, uh, we will talk more about the shepherds next week um, in the scripture readings, but then he, then, then there's, so we get into this Matthew uh, where there's magi coming from some other nation. So they're not Israelites, right? It's very clear that they're from another nation. And so uh, magi were where we get the word like magicians and, um, and essentially there were astronomers uh, of a land that was east of Jerusalem. They can't be west. There's an ocean there. There's a sea. And so they're coming by land. So they're uh, to the east, maybe the south, a little bit south and north. But so the Magi, most theologians agree, just because of what was going on in the first century, that these were Zoroastrian priests. A Magi is a priest who was heavenly, uh, dealt with uh, astronomy and astrology. And we can, we know that. Number one, because they know a lot about the stars. And so um, I'd never thought too deeply about this until, and this is why a church calendar is great, because it causes you to think about the verses that they would have never thought about it or would have been years um, even. And so they were looking for the Christ. So here's priests, the Zoroastrian priests of another nation who are looking for the Christ, who know about the Christ being born, and they want to see him, and it says they want to worship him. Okay, that's weird, right? Where did they come from? How did they even know about the Christ? Well, um, let's go back to Daniel. (laughs) Uh, Zoroastrianism was around long before the first century. Um, And so... And Daniel, some of the only people, this is um, a little bit reading into the text, but this is a good presumption of, and following a good uh, um, exile theology, is that Daniel was in uh, Persia, um, and he spent a lot of time with the priest, with the magi, uh, and interesting in Daniel, they're the only ones that don't, that doesn't buck against Daniel, um, which isn't saying anything definitively. It's just interesting. And so from the time of Daniel, he was converting people. He was a prophet. He wrote the book of Daniel. And so they had the book of Daniel. They had some scriptures. Surely there were other scriptures available. And so it's, it's my belief, which makes the most sense, is that when God says that he's going to gather the Gentiles from all over the land, he started 500 years ago by sending Israel into captivity so that Gentiles would be converted before Christ came. That's where the Magi come from. They were converted. They were looking for the Christ. They wanted to worship him. And that's who God chose to open his, their eyes. He shone, shone his light on these uh, priests. And so anytime, just throw a note in there. Um, they saw the star in the east. And so um, 
they're coming, they're coming from a land which is eastward, and they're moving westward. And so just remember that anytime the Bible gives directions, uh, the people of the garden, Adam and Eve, were kicked out towards the east, meaning you have to travel westward to get into the garden. The temple faced, uh, faced east, meaning you have to travel westward to get into the temple. Same thing with the tabernacle. And so there's this huge theme of when you're traveling westward, that you're traveling back to the presence of God, back to Eden, back to the temple, all these things. And so I think it's very clear that God had prepared these magi like Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, wasn't part of Abraham's crew, and was a high priest. And Abraham acknowledges that he was, Abraham gives him the tithe, as in, um, and that he's the, the uh, greater and Abraham's the lesser. And so, um, you know, in the same way, God's preparing these people ahead of time. And so just think about the storyline of the Magi find out about it. And who did, when we talked, that was probably in the summer, of what did Daniel prophesy? 490 years from this event, which he labels, have one to look out for this event, then the kingdom of God is coming, the Christ is coming. And these, these Gentiles, these priests of another nation, knew it and knew what to look for better than the chief priests. Think about that. The Magi are coming. They know it's here in this land. They did what anybody would do. They say, well, we're here to worship the Christ, the king. Uh, let's go. Who's in charge here? Let's go to Herod. Okay, so they go to Herod, and Herod's like, oh, yeah, uh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, the Jewish people? Okay, let's ask the chief priest. And so he asked the chief priest, and the chief priest tells him that he'll be born in Bethlehem. And then, he, then Herod tells the Magi, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and let me know because I'm going to uh, worship him. And, uh, but so the chief priests, like, they had the book of Daniel. They knew the prophecies. They knew when the Christ would come. They knew it was coming close, and they missed it. God didn't open their eyes. He did it to these, these Gentile priests. Um, and that's significant. Uh, number one, because although I said earlier, God chooses to open people's eyes, they were looking for the Christ. They were coming and searching for him. They kept their... Uh, I won't say their mind open, but they want to say they, they had very, like, clearly been searching for the Christ. And I don't know what kind of star this was, uh, but they saw the star. The chief priest didn't. And so what does that tell you? Um, and so, you know, like in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, like, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, ask and will be given to you is, um, you know, there is a sense of you do have to be searching. You do have to come and want uh, the Lord to change your feelings and your heart to want the Lord. And the Lord obviously initiates that, or else we would just be in, in darkness. But the chief priest, like, it went, it got word into their ear that, like, why is Herod, why don't they think like, why is Herod asking about where the Christ is to be born? Maybe he told him, 
maybe they were happy. Kill the kid. Uh, so we continue. Being, I don't, we don't know because it doesn't say. But Herod started asking. The chief priests were involved, and they missed it. But God chose to reveal himself to these distant land, non-Israelite, Zoroastrian priests. Um, and that's huge. Uh, we'll talk more about the uh, uh, shepherds, like I said, next week. But I just recently got to see a dramatic play of that kind of scene of the shepherds coming to worship the baby. And uh, I couldn't help but like just sit there and like cry. And I'm like, oh my God, like I've never, seen, like I've seen cheesy pictures and veggie tales, but I've never seen like someone like actually amazed. Um, but anyways... Uh, that's who the Lord chose to reveal himself to. That's huge. God had been preparing a people just like he is today to reveal himself to. And we do that through the gospel. He's shown his light here to us. It's our job to go and reveal Christ to others. So with that, let's close and, and worship. Lord, we pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit here to... Uh, worship you, to glorify your name, to make you more famous, that you would reveal yourself, you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts um, through the gospel, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, to give you praise and magnify your name, and to go out and bring in the wealth of the nations as you have prophesied. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.